You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Wayne Tinkle grabbed national spotlight this past March when his Oregon State Beavers won the Pac-12 basketball tournament to slip into the NCAA tournament. There, they advanced all the way to the Elite Eight with upsets over fifth-seeded Tennessee, fourth-seeded Oklahoma State, which ruined my bracket, by the way, and eighth-seed Loyola Chicago before falling to Houston in the Elite Eight. The 6'10 Tinkle, who played college basketball at Montana, played professionally for 12 years, spending his mo- most of his time in Europe. After retiring from playing, he returned to his alma mater, first as an assistant coach and later as the head coach, and he took the Grizzlies to the NCAA tournament three times took over the Oregon State job in 2014-15 with one NCAA tournament appearance before this year's big splash. So, Coach, welcome to Sports Connections. Great to be with you, David. I talk with coaches all the time who say they expect their teams to win every game, and they're not surprised that they advance farther than anybody else expected. But be honest with me. Were you surprised with your team's run through the Pac-12 tournament and NCAA tournament? You know, not so much uh, the Pac-12 tournament, but, um, you know, we we felt pretty good about our first-round opponent in the NCAA tournament. Uh, And then after that, it was, uh, you know, something where we almost had to pinch ourselves each night. Uh, (laughs) You know, can you you believe, you know, we'd all meet um, when we got back to the hotel, the staff, and it was like, uh, these guys are unbelievable. They they just feel like uh, they can't be beat, and it was really fun to be a part of, but... Uh, I tell you, that's what we strive for every year is to get our guys to that point when they put everything together and they take the court, not, you know, you see some teams, it's kind of with a level of arrogance, like they think they've got the game won before the ball goes in the air. With our guys, it was just a level of confidence. Didn't matter who was across the court from us. They felt like they were going to win. And, and uh, it's, you don't get it every year, obviously, but, uh, but those years that it happens makes it pretty special. Yeah, I'm one of those hoops nerds that stays up and watches the quarterfinals of the West Coast tournament uh, and stuff. And I remember watching the, the Pac-12 tournament thinking, OK, Oregon State, nice story. But eventually they're going to run up against this team or this team or this team. You weren't surprised that your team, if I remember correctly, won handily several games in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, I mean, uh we, we felt uh, with UCLA, we'd only played them once in the regular season, and it was a, a close game in Pauley Pavilion where uh, we had the last possession to, to either tie it uh, or win it, and, and we, we squandered it away. And so we felt confident going into that game. Now, they jumped us. Um, we, we, we had a kind of a reoccurring theme, David, when, when we got a little selfish offensively, carried that over to the defensive end and dug ourselves some real holes. And we learned some lessons. We'll talk about it a little bit later, I think. Uh, but we reminded our guys um, towards the end of the first half, guys, this is the same thing that's cost us over and over again. We've moved on from that. Come on now. We cut that that 16-point or 17-point deficit to 10 at half and felt like we got a lot of good shots that just weren't going in. Let's continue to grind defensively. Those shots will go in this half. And we pulled that one out in overtime. And that, when you win games like that, whether it's your conference tournament or early in the NCAA tournament, it, it almost catapults you and gives your guys a sense of we can't be beat, like I mentioned earlier. And 
Uh, Going into the semifinals against Oregon, we split with them in the regular season. They had just beaten us in Corvallis uh, the weekend before. They were red hot from three. And, um, you know, we we said, if you follow the game plan this time and take away the three-point line, we'll be in great shape. And we won that game fairly handily. Uh, and then Colorado in the championship, David, they they boat raced us at their place. It was the third game in five days for us um, traveling um, to, you know, to their place. And, and, and then they got us in a close game at home. But our guys took to court again with a, a real sense of confidence that, yeah. you know, didn't didn't matter. And uh, you, you look at our run going into that to that tournament. We had won our last three road games in league at Cal, at Stanford, at Utah. So we had built some momentum and um, you know, winning nine games in a row away from Gill Coliseum. Wow. That, that's quite a run. The last yeah. three of the conference, the tournament in Vegas, and then the first three in the NCAA tournament was, was quite a run for our guys. And uh, it's, it's just, it was neat to see it all come together. When did you know that your team had a chance to turn it around and get hot? I mean, you talked a little bit about that they were feeling confident. When did you recognize, hey, wait a minute, we're not, you know, we're not a 10 and 10 team. We're, we can be a whole lot better than that. We had seen glimpses throughout. Uh, we had some tough losses in the non-league. Um, we, we were on an eight-day COVID pause. We came out of it with two practices and then faced Arizona at home. We were without two of our main players, and and they put it on us. And in fact, the next day, um, Sean Miller had actually texted me and said, "Coach, we caught you at a very vulnerable time. Your team's better than that." Da 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 da. da which I thought was pretty classy. And and we had to come to Jesus after that game. And we had some assistants wondering if we were about to lose our guys because we weren't gonna we weren't gonna give an inch. You know, yeah. we were gonna keep demanding the things we needed to. And uh, they responded. I think we beat Arizona State, USC, and somebody else to win three in a row. But then the Cal game late in the season was the first time in a couple of months we had some guys kind of when we questioned their shot selection, you know, wanted to all of a sudden give an answer why that was a good shot, not a bad shot. Or we'd sub somebody out and there'd be a flutter of the eyes. And so we – we brought fire and brimstone into a couple of those timeouts and then peeled the paint in the locker room at halftime. And they responded. We won that game. It was a close one, but Cal played everybody tough at home. In fact, they had beat Colorado who was number one in the league a couple of weeks prior. And uh, we were worried going into the Stanford game, the ne- you know, two days later, should we practice Friday and carry over any negativity? Some coaches suggested, let's just take today off, go to shoot around Saturday and I said, no, if there's any carryover from this, we're going to deal with it right away on Friday. Yeah. To our guys credit. They brought great focus, great energy. I think they had learned a valuable lesson. We got a big win at Stanford, followed it up at Utah. And that was the point where we felt like, okay, we've hit our stride. Now, as coaches, we always like to do that, hope to do that by December, right? And I've talked to a lot of my colleagues, David, and and because of the pandemic and the fact that we didn't have our normal summer workouts, it was, you know, one player at a time. We had a, an abbreviated preseason workout schedule. Our regular season was pushed back a few weeks. 
in the Pac-12, there was a period of time we thought we weren't going to be able to start till January. So all those opportunities to build your team, to bring them together was lost. And we kind of all agreed as coaches that, you know, that hitting your stride was pushed back at least a month on average. For us, it was a little bit more than that, but we're certainly happy that we eventually hit it. What started to work? I mean, you talked about the fact that guys started to buy in, but there was even still some some pushback. What started working for your team that wasn't working earlier in the year or maybe even in years past that helped you go on that nine-game winning streak away from Gil Coliseum? You know, really simply, it, it was the trust factor. You know, the players started to trust, you know, the system. They started to trust each other. Um, the chemistry came together. That, that trust offensively carried over to the defensive end. Usually you want it to go the other way around. Um, and and I, I think guys put any of their self-concerns on the shelf, um, and we really came together as a team. And, and I credit the, the staff really did a great job of not giving in, but yet balancing it with not being overly hard on our guys. I, I, I even was quoted early in the year that I probably made the mistake of being too easy on them early in the year for all they had been through with the pandemic, with the social justice issues. Right. Um, you know, I was very sensitive to all that. And, and I, and I think it, it took away the urgency from us early on. Um, we got through all of that. There was a level of trust built because of a lot of conversations, frankly, to the things I just mentioned that we'd all been through. Um, and, and in our guys just, I mean, there was a cohesion there late in the year, um, you know, that you hope to get earlier, but doesn't always happen year in and year out. That was pretty special. You know, a lot of people would say that, I mean, the expectation was you had to win the Pac-12 tournament to sure. get in the NCAA tournament. And people would say, I mean, they were only middle of the pack in the Pac-12. Well, the Pac-12 certainly, <laughs> certainly proved itself as a, as a tough, con- maybe the best conference, certainly in the NCAA tournament. So in your best Bill Walton impression, talk about the strength of the Pac-12 this past season. Well, I, I, I'm going to have to decline. I can't go there. I can't, I can't impersonate or do justice to the great Bill Walton. Um, you know, he's a great promoter of our league, of our coaches, of our student athletes. Um, but, but I think, uh, it, you know, two double-digit seeds from the Pac-12 went to at least the Elite Eight. Obviously, UCLA, you know, who was in a play-in game and an 11 seed went to the Final Four. So that tells you right there the strength. You know, we also had Oregon go to the Sweet 16. USC, um, you know, uh, Colorado got uh, past the first round. So, you know, we have been, there's there's been years, quite honestly, where where maybe we didn't get as many teams in the league and it was deserved. But I I think, you know, you always can use that we're on late and the East Coast, you know, they're asleep when we're playing, but. I think really another big factor is that we're the only power five conference out West. If there was another power conference out here, like, you know, so many shared uh, on the East coast that there's a lot more visibility, a lot more attention. But if you look at it, uh, statistics show you that I want to say seven out of the last nine or eight out of the last 10 years, there have been more PAC 12 players drafted in the NBA draft than any other conference. 
So we're putting players into the NBA at a higher rate. So to me, somewhere there's a disconnect. Yeah. You know, we, we've got quality coaches. We've got quality play. Now, it has been a little inconsistent with deep runs in the tournament. But this past year, the Pac-12 had more wins in the NCAA tournament than any other conference. So uh, I think we answered a lot of the doubters this year. And uh, hopefully that we'll be able to carry that momentum moving forward. And you talked about the, the lack of national attention. It can't just be the fact that your weeknight games start really late. Can you think, and you mentioned the other one, that, that there's no other Power 5 conference to, where you can do a, a crossover game. I mean, I'm in Big 12 country, and we can, you know, we play SEC in a, in a regular thing, and, and the ACC and the, and the Big 10 play each other, um, that you don't have that. Do you think that's the main reason, or is it the East Coast bias that we all like to talk about that they don't live on the East Coast? I, I think there's a combination of all of that. Um, I, I don't think we get our just due because, uh, again, we're the only we're the only show out here. Um, I, I think if you moved, you know, the Big Twelve were out here right next to us, and we were playing each other, the spotlight would be on both. There'd be more credibility, maybe. But um, you know, I think also this past year we lost some of those big name preseason tournaments. Right where maybe we, we could have got, uh, you know, a, a little bit of respect out of those. But we've challenged ourselves as, as, as coaches in the league to take on more demanding preseason schedules, um, you know, to, to do our best, um, you know, to really try to improve the reputation of the league. But, you know, we, we've had a lot of good years. We're pumping out great players. So, um, you know, again, hopefully the run we made this year um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pick that up a little bit, but now we know we have to validate it moving forward and continue with the success. Maybe the answer, I'm not sure if Larry Scott's uh, replacement has been named, but maybe the answer is to promote Bill Walton as the commissioner of the Conference of Champions. And he'll he'll just talk until people's ears bleed about how great the Pac-12 is. Um, I think that's part of it. You know, as a head coach, part of your job is marketing your program and the, and the league's programs. No, for sure. And I, I think if people tuned into some of our press conferences during the NCAA tournament, you, you saw us fighting for each other. Um, and there's, yeah. there, there's, a, there's a level of cohesiveness between our coaching group uh, these last couple of years that I haven't seen. Um, you, you know, you, you see it after games, complimenting the opponent, you know, uh, complimenting the other coaches, talking about, um, you know, the fact that, we're a damn good league and, and people need to start paying attention. So all of that's working. And again, we just, we need to continue to win games and make runs, you know, and, 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 and really you kind of have to, you have to talk about it because yeah. it's all about getting the most teams in with the, with the highest seeds possible. But at the end of the day, we've just got to handle our business. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, when I, when I talk to Bill uh, in the next few weeks, I will say, Hey, just, Put your name in the hat for uh, for conference commissioner. Um, yeah, I want to talk about Oregon State uh, a little bit uh, about the tradition. I mean, you guys have a strong basketball history from the early days with Terry Baker, who I think is still the only Heisman Trophy winner to play in a Final Four uh, in yes. basketball as well. To the Steve Johnson years in the late seventies and early eighties, how did the Beavers return to that level of prominence? Well, I, I, I think we're in the midst of it. Um, 
you know, uh, the last time we'd been to the NCAA tournament was 1990. And, um, you know, there were some tough years there, but uh, we were able to go in 2016 for the first time in 26 years. Mm -hmm. um, then we, we had a year where we lost four of our top five players for the year by the end of November. Ooh. Took a lot of that momentum away from that NCAA tournament run. Yeah. But yet we, we, we didn't compromise. We continued to just buckle down and grind. We had some tough players really lay the foundation um, for winning basketball. And then, you know, what a year this year. The, the first time, I want to say, since 1963 that Oregon State won three games in the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about a lot of pretty good decades of basketball, um, you know, that we, we just kind of passed up. And um, so, I, so I, th I think we're there. We've established winning culture here, but it, it, it took time. Yeah. People need to understand it takes time. Um, and, and now, of course, we, we made this run. So what's next? What have you done for me lately? It's kind of always the theme. And, and, and so we've got to continue to challenge our assistant coaches, get out there, recruit the right kind of guys, bring them in and uh, continue, continue to, to have successful seasons. And, you know, we know we're winning off the court. We've had 20 all Pac-12 academic uh, student athletes. That's great. In six years. And uh, I'm sorry. And there was only 24 in the previous 27 years. So we've built the winning culture academically, athletically. Now we've got to continue to, to make runs like, like we did. Now we know it's tough to do year in and year out. There's a lot of really talented teams here in the Pac-12, but um, we, we've got our focus set on uh, getting back there. I know our returning players are hungry, you know, to get back there and, and make another run. And the players that we add are, are also, you know, they're excited over the run we made. But um, it's a challenge, but, but we feel we're right there. And now we've got to keep it moving forward. And you guys are the answer to a great trivia question. Um, around here, people are really proud about Kansas' 14-year stretch of winning or sharing. And, I, and I'm a Kansas State fan, so I always throw in that or sharing part. Uh, but conf winning or sharing 14 straight, beating UCLA's record. UCLA won outright 13 straight. And I've stumped a whole lot of people with who was the team that – the last one to win before that streak – and who was the team to stop that streak? And it was Oregon State in both cases. So you guys have a really good tradition to build upon. No, for sure. And, you know, it's great when we hear from, um, from those players that, that played during the Orange Express years and, um, you know, the excitement they share. They, they like the way we're building the program. Yeah. It's great when they come around. I mean, when, when we had Gary Payton the second playing for us and, and GP came in, the building Gill went to a whole nother level. And I'm sure. Um, yeah. We, we, you know, and we can't forget about the players that were here going through the same rigors, you know, the, the sweat and the blood, they just, you know, for whatever reason, weren't able to get to the same level, but we want them to, you know, to remember they're very much a part of our family. We want them around and we tell our guys, we, we, we said it before most games down the stretch, Oregon State is the place it is because of all those that have gone before us. Let's pay tribute out there and represent. And our guys really feed off of that. So um, we love the way we're able to do our business here. We love the people involved. Um, and, and like you said, it's, it's, it's a very proud and great tradition. And we're really honored to, to be at the helm and, and helping to carry it forward. And that leads me into my next question. Um, and 
obviously the goal is to win, but <laughs> I would like you to be a little more, um, answer a little more if, uh, involved. What are your goals for the program at Oregon State? Well, you know, obviously we want to graduate our players. Uh, we want to make them everyday champions. But basketball-wise, you know, it was great. We cut down the nets for the first time ever for Oregon State in the Pac-12 tournament. Mm-hmm. We want to do it in the regular season. And, and, and that's, that's our goal for next year. We want to have all of that momentum carried to the Pac-12 tournament where we know we don't have to win all three games or four games or whatever it is to get a bid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's great when you can get there every few years. We know it's challenging. There's a reason we hadn't gone since 1990. Um, but to really feel like we've got our program where it needs to be, we want to try to get to that NCAA tournament year in and year out. Um, and, and so you talk from a basketball sense, let's win a regular season championship, but let's, let's put ourselves in position to where we, 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 we've got a bid going, going to Vegas for the, uh, for the PAC 12 tournament and try to get, the kind of seed where maybe it can set up a similar, similar run. I'm friends with Bill Snyder, who is the hall of fame football coach at Kansas state. And early in the, in his time there, he told me that his, his goal was not to build a top 25 team. His goal was to build a top 25 program. And there's a huge difference. And that's really what you're talking about, isn't it? Yes. But you know, what's I don't, we don't have time to get into the whole transfer portal deal. Right. But, um, it's becoming harder and harder to build, you know, programs because of the turnover uh, with right. our roster. And, and, and we say it, it, you really are building a team from year to year. So I, I've talked with a couple of coaches in our league recently that, that don't sleep easy these days because, you know, we're losing players. We're signing players from other schools yeah. and gone are the days where you bring them in mostly at the freshman level and maybe mix in a couple of junior college players to balance out the classes and build that program from the ground up for sustainability. But, you know, it's a new age, new era. We've got to adapt. Um, but you're right. You know, we, we want, we want a program, not, not teams that are going to make a splash, you know, from time to time, we want this thing to be successful year in and year out. Um, talk about your playing career. You played professionally for 12 years. Um, obviously, at 6'10", you were a post player. But just talk, tell us about your playing career. Yeah, you know, I was fortunate. I played for some great coaches at Montana, Mike Montgomery, Stu Morrill. Um, you know, the accessibility back then wasn't the same. I was fortunate. Went back to Portsmouth, the first big NBA scout tournament. We won that in 1989. Um, broke my foot right before the Chicago combine that I was invited to. So um, was kind of behind the eight ball a little bit early on, went overseas. I got married to my college sweetheart. Who's in the Montana hall of fame, Lisa McLeod. Um, we got married, started having kids. And so it was like, all right, do I, do I keep chasing the NBA dream or do I start fighting for my family? Played in the CBA, which was basically the G league uh, back then. And um you know, we, we had a great career, played seven years in Spain, played in, you know, what's now the second best league in the country, the, the ACB, um, played in Greece, Italy. And uh, it was it was really fun 
to travel with my family around the world, get compensated playing the game that I loved, um, and really expose my family to all the different cultures, the history. And I think that's really a big reason they're as well-rounded as they are today because of those experiences. Um, and I wouldn't have traded any of it. You know, there were years that I was griping about this guy not making, or this guy made the NBA and I kicked his butt in the summer league. And yeah, I had to grow up, get over all that. And, um, you know, we were able to, to have a, a good living playing, playing the game that we loved and traveling the world. So great, great experiences. 2017, we took our team back to Spain for a foreign tour, played in several of the cities that I played in. Um, that, that was a, a neat experience other than, uh, you know, we went through a tough, uh, a terrorist activity in Barcelona right in front of our eyes when we were having a pregame meal, which was uh, re really a tough thing to get through. But um, a lot of our guys obviously, you know, learned and, and grew through that. But that was a great experience overall. And um, I'm blessed. I'm blessed that I was able to play for 12 years. Uh, again, provide for my family. And quite honestly, I didn't know the transition. I thought, you know, maybe I'll be an agent and that's a way to stay competitive um, and, and I'd, I'd gone through 2000, I think I, I had, uh, ruptured my plantar fascia and missed a season. And when I was starting to rehab, I was working out the Montana players. And, um, then I played, played one more year and, um, was getting ready to go back to Europe. And one of the assistants left prior or sir, he got the head job at Colorado school of mines. So the head coach at the time, Don Holtz called and said, Hey, I've got an opening. It's early September. I know you're talking about going back overseas. We can't pay you much, but we'd love to have you on the staff. Yeah. And I, I, I thought, talked about it with my wife and, you know, we, we made the decision to go into coaching and stop playing. And here we are 17, 18 years later. I'm glad I made that decision when I did. Absolutely. And I've got to ask you coach about one other award you received. This was in 2014 when collegeinsider.com named you the sexiest man in college basketball. <laughs> well, obviously, obviously not very many people voted. <laughs> <laughs> your wife and your just kids. Been and... <laughs> my seven sisters. <laughs> but uh, I get a lot of ribbing for that um, from, from my friends, from, you know, some of the uh, color commentators that do our games. Um, it was quite a deal. And I, I think it was such a flop. They haven't had a, that competition since. So that tells you. <laughs> You're reigning champ, coach. There you go. There you go. You know, you talked about family earlier, family with, within the program. And you've talked about, and I'm going to ask you a little bit more about your, your you know, wife and kids and stuff. But um, I remember, and I don't remember if it was during the Pac-12 tournament or during the early stages of the NCAA tournament, you wore a T-shirt that had something to do with your dad. And I'm sorry for not knowing more about it, but here's your chance to tell us what that t-shirt was and about your relationship with your dad. Sure. Well, uh, the first two games, my, my daughter had a friend up in Portland, make some t-shirts that they wore. I think one of them was, you know, we were picked 12th in the pack 12 and it was a not 12th. And you know, the, the, the two was crossed off and it said first, and it was kind of cool. Then they went home uh, after we won Oklahoma State. They knew we were, you know, they were coming back for, you know, the Sweet 16 game against Loyola. And they knew the significance of that game. So I'm the youngest of 11 children. My dad was raised in Detroit. My mom in Chicago. Dad served in World War II. 
they met at the Navy Pier in Chicago, danced the night away, started dating through mail like they did back then, got married when my dad got out. Uh, he had gotten his GED through that opportunity uh, in the armed services. And then they went moved to uh, Lansing and he went got his undergrad and master's from Michigan State. He was dean of men at Marquette. Wow. That's where I was born in Milwaukee. We moved to Chicago when I was one. And he was uh, vice president dean of students at Loyola Chicago for a number of years. And I remember going and, you know, watching George Ireland coach, uh, going to practices, you know, and I'm six, seven years old at the time, uh, going to work with my dad in the summer, kind of running around the halls. And then we'd take off at about 1145, jump on the L and go to Cubs games. It was always 115 first pitch. Yeah. And uh, just some great memories. Um, and when I saw Loyola beat Illinois and we were playing Oklahoma State later that night, I thought this would be unreal, you know, if, if, if we were lucky enough to win and then meet Loyola. And my, we lost my dad in 2002. He never saw me coach as a head coach. You know, it just brought back a lot of emotion. So my family brought back a, a shirt and it said Oregon State and the A and the state was an eight, you know, hoping to, you know, that we would get to the elite eight. There was a sweet 16 deal because, but then on the side of the sleeve, it had my father's initials, Wayne F. Tinkle, the same as mine. And they gave it to me that day. And I wasn't sure. I'm not overly superstitious, but um, I wore that shirt underneath my three-quarter zip. And um, after we shook hands with, with Coach Moser and, and huddled our team up real briefly after that win, something just got into me. And I wanted them to know that I wore that shirt underneath, how much it meant to me. And so it was kind of a cool, cool moment. Uh, again, I had some of my buddies give me a little bit of grief that, shoot, couldn't they find one big enough for you? But, <laughs> you know, my dad meant a lot to me. Just there were stages in my career where, you know, I wasn't maybe putting in the effort academically or giving it my all in the weight room or whatever early on. I just wanted to play, right? I just wanted to get in the gym and play. And um, I remember mom was always the one that sent the birthday cards, the Christmas cards, the letters to see how you were doing. But um, my dad sent me a four page front and back legal size paper letter when I was in college, telling me all he had been through in and out of foster care. His parents used to handcuff him to the bedpost when they went to the bar to drink, um, you know, quit school at 10 during the depression to get a job to provide for the family. Um, you know, and then his story of getting his GED through the Navy, going to Michigan State, you know, and basically it was, you know, if I could go through all that I did and get to where I did, I know, you know, we provided you with better opportunity, get your head out of, you know, what and get to work. Yeah. And it was a real turning point for me. And so obviously I've always looked up, you know, to my dad and all he meant to our family. And it was a, a neat moment uh, and a neat opportunity um, you know, to, to maybe pay a little bit of, of tribute to him. And it was great that my family saw that, um, you know, and, and brought that to light. Well, Coach, I knew that there was something with your dad and that he, he had passed. Um, I did not know all that story. That is that is just a phenomenal yeah. story. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, and it transitions. I always like to let my guests because, you know, as I mentioned early on, this is a, a an opportunity. I do these 
I've been interviewing people in sports for 40 years uh, back when I was in, uh, just out of college. And I like these are just conversations with people in sports. And I like to let people tell their stories. And one of the things I always let people do is talk about their families, talk about your wife and your kids and what they're doing. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so Lisa and I dated off and on our four years at Montana. Uh, we got married in the summer of 89, right, right when we both uh, finished school. Um, you know, we, we started a family about a year and a half later. And, um, you know, Jocelyn's our oldest. We, we had Jocelyn when we were playing in Sweden um, our second year out. And um, she ended up going on to be quite a player. She's the first McDonald's All-American out of the state of Montana, male or female. Wow. Went to Stanford, got two degrees from Stanford and played in three Final Fours. You know, was an all-Pac-12 player. Uh, Ellie was our second born. Um, she went to Gonzaga. She, she knew she was going to use basketball as a vehicle for her education. And she knew she wanted to be a nurse. Her best friend's mom was a nurse growing up. She saw that, had a big influence on her. Gonzaga had a great nursing program. And she's the first women's basketball player to go through the nursing program because it's so demanding. Um, and she, she was an all WCC uh, player as well. And then our son, Trace, um, who, you know, was quite an accomplished player in high school. I, I, I didn't, I didn't assume he wouldn't play for me at Montana. I think he would have had a hard time saying no to me, but um, you know, he was getting recruited at the highest levels. Um, and, you know, I'd been there eight years, and we, we had done some really good things. And I remember Stu Morrill and, and Mike Montgomery, you know, saying it's, it's really hard to stay at a school for X amount of years, you know, especially when you're at the mid-major level. If you get an opportunity, you know, you got to look to move on. And uh, we just thought the time was right. And uh, we we're fortunate to get the Oregon State job. A lot of my friends, again, because – I'd had other opportunities to leave. And I said, it's going to take a special place to take me away from such a special place. And when I chose Oregon state or they chose me, my buddies were like special place, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I said, well, wait a minute. Now you, you were all old enough to remember the years when, when they were the team out West, it was them in, in UCLA. Yeah. Obviously they didn't reach the level that UCLA did, but they were pretty prominent. And, uh, I said, yeah, but with the right people and with time, we can maybe get back there. Um, and that's another reason we're, we're so proud of what we've done because we, we knew with the right people and the right focus and the right approach, you know, we could get back there. And so I'm, I'm blessed for that. But the support that I get through it all is incredible, David. Like through the tough losses when I get home, my wife's like, son's going to come up tomorrow. You're going to go back to work. Yeah. Find a way, you know. After winning a huge game, hey, that's great. I'm proud of you, honey. The lawn's got to be mowed tomorrow, you know. <laughs> so they, they do a great job of keeping things in perspective. They they all are very sharp um, basketball-wise and in other ways, obviously. But um, they've been great, a great support system for me. And um, they've all had success in their own, own excuse me, own arenas. And uh, it's just we, we can't say enough how blessed we are to have you know, the love and support that we do from each other. And Trace played for you at Oregon State, correct? I left that out. So, yeah. So then when, when we got the job here, Trace committed to us. Um, we didn't have a recruiting class that first year. 
Um, and, and we had to save some scholarships because we had no seniors and we knew the 15 class was going to be a good one for us. And he and Drew Eubanks, who's playing with the San Antonio Spurs, uh, Stevie Thompson Jr. is playing in Italy. Yeah. We, we had some kids come in that really helped take that, that baton and run with it. And, yeah. and it was, it was some, there were some challenging years early on coaching your son. He thought I was being extra hard on him to prove a point. From my angle, it was more we knew that we were going to have to depend on him. So we had to get all of those freshmen. We, we, we had to get them, you know, going early. And, um, you know, it was some, there were some times when he came home for Sunday dinners, there wasn't much conversation. <laughs> but uh, but um, he, he grew up. He got as tough a player as he was. He had to get mentally tougher with the aspect of getting coached by dad. But, um, you know, it was a great experience. We really enjoyed the last couple of years. Uh, obviously he's, I think in the top 10 and seven or eight different categories here at Oregon state. And I, I think left his mark on the program and did a great job of carrying us forward and, and allowing us to build off of it. Well, coach, I, I believe that all coaches share two things. One is a call to coach. If you are called to coach, you have to coach. Even if that's not your vocation, you're going to find yourself coaching people in whatever you're doing. The other thing that all coaches share is the same first name, coach. Coach. I haven't, I haven't called you Wayne yet. I've called you coach and I, you never coach me. I'm older than you, you know, but I call you coach and it's, it's a term of respect. It's a term of admiration. It's a, it's a title, but it's, it, it envelops. You can see my shirt says we coach. I'm involved in a coach's ministry where we try and support coaches and their spouses so I will finish up, and I always ask the same question. I will finish up with this question. What is your legacy? Well, I think it's still yet to be written. And what I would hope that it would be is that we built champions. And, and, and that goes beyond just the basketball players. Our motivation here at Oregon State is to, to obviously get our players to reach their full potential as, a, as an athlete, as a student, but more importantly, as a person. We, we want to develop great future husbands, fathers, contributors to their community. That's our motivation every day. It's not the next, you know, contract, the next job. Right. We feel we're so incredibly blessed to make a difference in these young people's lives that our motivation should be what I just mentioned. Um, we feel we've done that at Montana. We, we left a great legacy behind there. We hope to do the same here at Oregon State. And you know, there's a lot going on in college basketball, David. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of negativity being spoken about all the different things and how it's evolving and we're trying to change it and the pay for play and all that. I'm here to tell you, it's still an incredible, incredible deal. Um, for us to have the responsibility to help build and develop and inspire these 18 to 23-year-olds, um, it's a huge responsibility. We get, we get criticized often. Um, a lot of people out there feel like they have the answers, Yeah. but you know what, we've got to ignore all that and, and keep our focus on these young men that we're trying to forge into great leaders. And, um, we couldn't be happier. We think the game's in a great place. Um, we're, we're fortunate that we, we get to continue through, through all this that we've been through, um, to play this game, to coach this game, to help develop these young men and women. And, uh, it's a great responsibility, but man, is it a blessing to be able to do it. And, and we remind ourselves day in and day out of that. And that's what keeps us focused and keeps us motivated. 
Great answer, Coach, and I've, I've really appreciated your time. Um, I will tell you, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm a Kansas State fan. I went to graduate school there. I'm also now an Oregon State fan, and I'm, uh, I'm friends with Dana Altman. I, I, he used to be an assistant coach uh, at Kansas State, so I've known him for more than 30 years. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be really tough to, to watch an Oregon-Oregon State game and not root for you guys. So I really appreciate your time today, and I wish you the best of luck, and we'll be following you from afar. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed it, David. All the best to you. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.